Right, we're going to be going into our scripture today. Uh, we're going to read from uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Uh, this is in the ESV. Uh, if you grab one of your pew Bibles there, those are the ESVs, and we encourage you to read along with us because we'll be doing uh, a responsive reading, which means that I'll read the first verse, and then uh, we will all respond with the verse after that. We'll keep going back and forth until the end. And so if, if you want to look up that scripture now. And once you're ready to read the scripture, uh, we would ask that you stand as able for the reading of God's word. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in lights. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the word of God for the people of God, Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Right. Well, uh, next week we'll be beginning kind of this mini sermon series uh, for Advent um, called You Are Not Alone. We'll be talking about that reality that God is always with us. And I'm really excited about that. Um, and, and it does in many ways uh, piggyback off a lot of things we've been talking about this semester as we wrap up our um, our series in Ephesians, we're going to do something kind of unusual. You may have noticed last week we finished Ephesians, and today we're actually reading in Colossians, or we just read in Colossians. And that might seem kind of like a strange choice, uh, but Colossians in many ways mirrors what is, is said in Ephesians. Uh, so, some scholars actually think that Ephesians is sort of an extrapolation, uh, a, a continuation of some of uh, Paul's thoughts in Colossians, that he fleshes out more in Ephesians. And so in many ways, I think it's fitting that we read sort of a, a sister uh, letter to uh, the letter to the Ephesians in Colossians as we wrap up uh, this sermon series. And so, you know, we've been talking about the big story. And so today we are going to ask you the question as we try to wrap all this up, try to make it practical, and we're going to sort of throw it back on you. What is your story? What is the story you're living? What is the story that you want to live? What is the story that you will pursue? And so as we think about that, I want to think about what makes a story. So I try to do some creative writing from time to time. And one of the basics that they teach you about stories is this. In order to have a story, you really need one thing that, that will make it a story. Like, obviously, you need characters, right? But characters don't make a story. You know what makes a story the essential ingredient? Conflict. Without conflict, there is no story. So think about this, brothers and sisters. This makes a terrible story. Now, maybe this is the kind of story that you want to live. You want to live a life where um, you can retire on a beach somewhere, right? Or maybe like, like you want to be like a billionaire by the time you're 25 or 30. Maybe some of us are a little bit older than that, but that's okay. But, but you, like, this is the dream for some of us. We just want to lie on a hammock on a beach, staring at the ocean for the rest of our lives. 
Is that the story you want to live? I remember there's this uh, uh, movie that came out when I was in college. So it's a little bit dated. It's called Office Space. It's about this guy who lives uh, this, this everyday life. He works in a cubicle. He hates his job, right? He hates his commute. It, he just finds it so pointless and, and just soul-crushing. And so one day, uh, he, he and his friend are sitting around, and they're talking about, what would you do if you had a million dollars? Now, this is why it's a little bit dated. I think the movie came out in, like, 1995. So now a million dollars doesn't seem as much. I mean, it's still a lot of money. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, it's not like I roll like that, but I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, maybe we, we would, you know, say, like, what would you do with $100 million or something? But for, for him, it was, you know, what would you do with a million dollars? And so his friend had an answer, but his answer, the guy who was, had the, the soul-crushing cubicle job, he said, I would do nothing. I would do absolutely nothing. This is what he wants. Is this what you want? Is this what you are living your life for? At some point, you are just going to do nothing. I want to convince you, friends, this is a terrible story. <laughs> you know, on, on one hand, there is no conflict, right? So it's not a story, right? And if any of you have spent time on an extended vacation, you probably know this to be true. I remember my wife and I, we went uh, on uh, our honeymoon to uh, uh, St. Thomas, in the Caribbean, it's beautiful, right? U.S. Virgin Islands, so beautiful. I mean, it, it looked like this. I don't know if this is St. Thomas, probably not, but at beautiful, clear water, right? Beautiful white sand. And we went there, uh, Aaron, do you remember how long we were there? It was like a week, something like that, more than a week. And, you know, we're like, man, this is so great. First day we get there, we're like, oh, man, you know, we could live here. You know, let's, let's spend the next month here. You know, it's, it seems so great. And then about three, four days into the honeymoon, you know, you were just kind of like, of course it's our honeymoon, so, you know, we're like looking lovingly into each other's eyes and, you know, we're, we're, we're just enjoying each other and we're, too embarrassing? No? Yeah? Um, <laughs> we're, we're enjoying, you know, uh, you know, like wonderful fruity drinks, you know, and it's great. But three, four days in, we were really bored. You know, we're like, okay, kind of, kind of getting ready to go home, you know? And I don't know, maybe some of you, you've been on vacations and you're like, Pastor Steve, I can't relate because I'm just so stressed that a week isn't enough. And maybe that's true. Maybe a week isn't enough. But what about two weeks? What about three weeks? What about a month? What about a year just sitting on that beach doing nothing? Doing nothing. Do you think you could just sit there and do nothing? You probably think that. But brothers and sisters, I don't think it's true. I think we get restless. I don't think this is the way we were made. Because you were made to live a story. And this is not a story. This is a vacation. It's a break. It's a break from your story, which is great. We all need that. But the reason why vacations are vacations, the reason why rest is a rest, is because it's a rest from the rest of your life, right? It's just a respite. It's just a period in time where you take a breath, where you do nothing for a little bit, and then you get back to it. You are not meant to live this life for the rest of your life. I tell the story sometimes about my dad. Uh, a couple years ago, he, he went to retire, and, and so he, he sent in his paperwork to retire. And so he wasn't retired yet, but it was spring break. 
And he was like imagining what re- re- his retired life would look like. So he goes to the mall. He's walking around. He looks at these retired people just walking around the mall, doing nothing, right? And he goes home and immediately sends an email rescinding his retirement. He's like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't just sit there and do nothing. And my dad actually is officially retired, and he's still doing research for the university. You know, <laughs> He's like, he can't stop. You know, now, whether or not that's a story about my dad's uh, being a workaholic, you know, I don't know. But at the same time, brothers and sisters, I do think there's something within us that can't just do nothing. I know it's what we want for many of us. We want to get to this end point, right? And many of us, we think about life as having an end point, right? And, and so we're living this life and we're like, okay, I need to get to the end of the school year. When I get to the end of the school year, mm, my life will be great. And that's the story you're living. You're living a very finite story. You're living, uh, you're playing a very finite game, right? You get there, end of the school year. Okay, great. Now what? Now what? Now what are you going to do? It might feel great that you got to your finish line. You're like, oh, okay, this is great. But then after, sooner than later, you're like, okay, well, what are we doing now, Right? Well, once I graduate, then once I graduate, then everything will be fine. And then you graduate, everything's not fine. Oh, well, I just need to get a job. You get a job, and then it's not fine. Well, I just need to get that promotion. You get the promotion, then it's not fine. And then you retire, and it's not fine. It doesn't give you what you want. And this is the thing, brothers and sisters, that we have to understand, that you are not living a finite story. You are living an infinite story. We know that, right? Because we know that in Christ, this life does not end. You know that, right? We have a life without end, right? What do you think we mean when we say eternal life? There is no end, right? But we always live life looking for the end. We're looking for that goal. And and we think to ourselves, once I get to that goal, then I can just, ah, be happy, and be fulfilled, and have everything I want. And brothers and sisters, I think we're doing it wrong because that's not the story you're living. That's not the story you have. I want to show you in Scripture. So we just uh, uh, looked at uh, Colossians. And as we jump in here, you're going to notice some things about this story. It parallels in many ways the story that we have been following in Ephesians. But I want to try to convince you this is not a story that has an end. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So what is Paul asking us? He's telling us that he wants you to be filled with, with, with uh, the knowledge of God's will with spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you can live a life that is worthy of your calling. What is the calling? What is the calling? Do you guys remember last week? Or not last week, it's really a whole semester we've been talking about this, right? What is the big story? It's not a little story. It's not just an individual going to heaven, right? It is the, the redemption of all things, Ephesians 1, 9 through 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the purpose that you are living for. 
Now, when do you get to stop? When do we get to the point where we are no longer living this life? Well, it says that you're supposed to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, right? Worthy of this calling that you have, right? And so what it says here is that, you know, God is trying to unite all things in Christ, all things on heaven and earth, under Christ, in Christ, right? To bring all these things together, to unite them. When? In the fullness of time. When is that? What is the fullness of time? Because I know I said there's no end point, but there really is. That's the fullness of time. But I don't know when that's going to be. Neither do you. It's going to come, right? And it's a certainty that it will come. It hasn't come yet. Until that comes, we are supposed to live up to this calling. In other words, you are supposed to live for this, right? You're not just supposed to live doing whatever you want, right? You're supposed to live according to this calling. Calling. This is what you were created to do. To live to unite all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, right? To fix broken things, right? If there's things that are not the way they're supposed to be, to help redeem those things, to help heal brokenness wherever you see it. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, right? I think the way a lot of Christians treat our lives is we're like, okay, uh, you know, God gave me this sort of like eternal insurance policy, so I get to go to heaven after I die. Yay! Now I get to do whatever I want. That's not what I see here. What I see here is you are meant to bear good fruits in everything you do, in everything you do. There are many people who live as if their life is neutral. I can do what I want. I can make the money I want. I can live the life I want. And then I get heaven on top of it. It's just like a cherry. That's not what I see here. What I see is you are created to do good work, to bear fruit in every work you do, in every good work. You are supposed to be increasing what? The kingdom. You're supposed to be bringing about this new way of life, which is what? A life where things are redeemed, a life where things are healed, where broken things are fixed. That's the kingdom of God. So you're supposed to be increasing the knowledge of God. Right? Increasing is a word that lets us know we're not done. I know so many people who think about, you know, Christianity as like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pastor Steve, I got this. You know, Jesus died for my sins. Yeah. Got it. A, right? 100%. I got it. That's all I need to know. Right? But brothers and sisters, is, is that it? It says increasing in the knowledge of God. Who are we to think that we know everything there is about God? There's so much more. There's so much more to the story because it's a big story. It's a big, big story. He's going to show you more. He's going to help you increase. The word increase lets you know you're not done. You're not done. You're a work in progress, and that's perfectly okay, right? Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Who needs endurance? Who needs patience? When would you need endurance and patience? You need endurance and patience when things aren't done, right? If things were already done, there's nothing to wait for. There's nothing to endure through. If there's no more work to be done, then there's no waiting, right? 
But we need endurance and we need patience if there is more yet to happen. So when it says that Christ is going to bring all things, right, and, and, and he's going to unite all things in his timing, in the fullness of time, there is very, I think blatantly, a not yet. It hasn't happened yet. So all the stuff we're supposed to be doing, I think, is supposed to be towards that end. We're supposed to help, right? We're supposed to be a part of this work. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We are going to share in what God is doing. We're going to share in his inheritance. We are going to inherit what? What what, what is all this that we are living for? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There is a flipping. There is a transferring of loyalty. We live in this broken, dark world, right? This kingdom that is ruled by the spirits of this world. Where there's a lot of messed up things that happen. There's a lot of greed. There's a lot of selfishness. There's a lot of war. There's a lot of atrocity. There's, there's people who try to own other people. There's people who hoard things for themselves. There are people who are poisoning our planet. And we're doing all this stuff. And we're just living out our own stories. Because we think we're the kings of our own lives. And we get to do whatever we want. And no one can tell us what to do. But what we are being called to be is citizens of the kingdom. And if we're citizens of the kingdom, that we are living life in God's will, the way God wants it to be. And so this is what has happened, is we are transferring our allegiance and our loyalty, and we are living for this kingdom where God reigns. The world now, the universe is supposed to be a place that reflects God's will and God's purpose in this world, which is what? For all things to be united, perfected, healed in Jesus Christ. That's the will of God. That's the big story. And that is a story that we will continue living until Jesus calls us home. You're going to keep living it. We will never stop that story. That's a good thing, brothers and sisters. But what if you don't know this? What if you are living your life as if there is already, uh, you know, there's these kind of like finite things we're trying to get to? You know, I I, want to sort of point out to you, by the way, you know, some of you might be saying, but Steve, there is an end, right? It does talk about in Scripture that there's an end. Yes, even Paul thought that. So this is Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Philippians comes right after Ephesians uh, in in the Bible. And it says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What do you think the goal is? What do you think the prize is? Heaven? Kingdom of God? Yes and yes, for sure. Right? It is all the things we were talking about, the redemption of all things. Right? Jesus coming and healing all things, bringing all things together under Christ. This is definitely the end goal. Right? 
But he says, I don't consider that I have it. You see that? I press forward as if I don't have it. Right? Now, this is the thing. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. To you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. There is this idea that Christ has already done it. It will be done. It's a certainty. It is coming. It hasn't come yet, but it is coming. We know that. So he's saying, live up to this calling, right? Help in this work. It hasn't come yet, but it is coming, right? And so you can't consider that it's already done. You got to strain forward and you got to keep doing the work. You got to keep doing the work, right? Um, so uh, I, I was reading uh, or listening to this guy, Simon Sinek, uh, who was talking, uh, he wrote a book called uh, The Infinite Game. And it's very interesting because he thinks that one of the problems in life is many people treat uh, uh, things that are supposed to be infinite games as finite games. So some things like where, where he talks about business, like, you know, like, like who wins in business? That's a finite game. A finite game is the idea that you can win. There's an end, right? And you're like, yay, you know, we're the best business in the world, yay, and then, and then what? He's like, no, there's no, like, best business, right? You don't win in business. You don't win in family. Hey, I'm the husband of the year. I'm the best husband ever. I don't need to do anything ever again. No, there's no winning <laughs> in family, right? It's an infinite game. It keeps going on and on and on, right? And he said that, that uh, for, in many times, uh, people live as if, an infinite thing is finite. And so they don't know what the rules are. And so, you know, for instance, um, in the Vietnam War, right, uh, so North Vietnam lost a million people. A million people were killed during the Vietnam War conflict. Right? The U.S. lost about 55,000 troops. So consider that, 55,000 to a million. And yet, the U.S. gave up. They left. A lot of people say we lost the Vietnam War. Did we really lose the Vietnam War? Because Vietnam, they lost about 10% of their population in that time. It's devastating, right, to lose a million people for a already small country, right? But we're the ones who gave up. And so what Simon Sinek says is that because the difference was that we were playing a finite game, but they were playing an infinite game. And so think about it this way. Right? So we're thinking, like, how do we win this war? How do we get to this conclusion? But Vietnam, they're fighting for their lives. So basically, their mentality is, we will never stop fighting. Never. This war will never end. And so basically, it got to the point where the U.S. was like, yeah, we don't want to play this game anymore. We, we don't want to be in this conflict anymore. We just gave up, even though statistically we were winning. Right? So in a similar way, uh, just to kind of illustrate the point again, um, he talks about the difference between Microsoft and Apple. So Simon Sinek uh, went to uh, two conferences. He went to a Microsoft conference and went to an Apple conference. This was like in the early 2000s when Apple and Microsoft were competing head-to-head, right? And they were coming out with these like spiffy music players, like the iPod, right? And then Microsoft had this music player called Zoom. And the iPod was really kind of the beginning of Apple's resurgence, um, into what we know them now. The iPod became the iPhone, right? And then the rest is history, right? But he said that when he went to these two conferences, they were very different. When he went to the Microsoft conference, all they talked about was, how do we beat Apple? How do we beat Apple? Right? It was about winning this war, 
like, like, you know, this finite game. We just have to beat this competitor, right? But when he went to the Apple conference, it was all about how do we improve? How do we get better? Like they were talking about education, and they were talking, like, like I mean, it, it wasn't about trying to beat a competitor. It was just, how do we become the best company we can possibly be? And so at, at the end of the Microsoft conference, uh, he was talking to one of the people. He's like, hey, Simon, I want to show you something. This is the, the newest, best tech we have. This is the brand new Zoom. And he pulls out this music player, right? And it's beautiful, right? And he looks at it, and he shows them all the features, He's like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. So he goes to the Apple conference, and uh, he's on his way to the airport after the conference, and he's uh, sharing a taxi with a high-level Apple executive. And he just couldn't, uh, he had just come from the Microsoft conference, he had just seen the brand new Zoom, he couldn't help himself. So he was like, hey man, I just gotta tell you, I just saw Microsoft's new Zoom, it is way better than your iPod Touch. And, and so uh, the, the, the Apple executive uh, just said one sentence to him. He, he said, yeah, I have no doubt. And that was it. <laughs> that was it. Why? Why didn't he care? Why didn't he care that they had one product better than that? Because he was playing an infinite game, not a finite game. He didn't care that they had one product that was better, right? That's not the game. He's like, we're not even considering that. We don't care that they have one product better than us. We're just trying to be the best company that we can be. We're constantly innovating. And so after a while, I mean, have you guys ever heard of a Zoom? Has anyone, has anyone here ever owned a Zoom? <laughs> There's a couple people there had their heads down. They're like very ashamed, you know? But, but it's very clear who won, right? And it's very clear, brothers and sisters, for many of us, we have this same way of thinking when it comes to life. You get to a certain point and you think, I won, I won, now what? You're not playing the right game, right? The, the, the story that we are supposed to be playing, right? The story that we're supposed to be living is a story that never ends. Let me tell you about, uh, uh, so Paul had this conflict with some of the people he wrote letters to. We just read Ephesians, we went through that whole uh, uh, letter, and now we just read a little Colossians and Philippians. There's another uh, series of letters that he wrote to the Thessalonians. And the Thessalonians, uh, th there's a very famous line that comes from 2 Thessalonians 3.10 that says, if a person will not work, he will not eat. Have you guys ever heard that? It, it's probably the best line or the most famous line that comes out of uh, Thessalonians. The reason why Paul said that, if a person will not work, he will not eat is because they weren't working. They were just sitting around and doing nothing. You know why? Because they thought that Jesus had come back. <laughs> I know it's kind of weird, but they thought Jesus had returned. Um, so people think that actually somebody wrote a fake letter to them that was like from Paul, like, hey, Jesus is back, guys. He's coming back, right? And, and we know that, that it's already started. And so they're like, okay, we're in the end game now, right? We're in the last days. So, so if they thought that the game was almost over, what do you think they did? They stopped working. So they just sat around, they're like, okay, let's just wait for Jesus to return, right? Like, we haven't seen him yet, but I heard he's just like, you know, he's just stepping out onto center stage, he'll get here eventually, right? Nobody needs to work anymore. And Paul's like, what are you doing? It's not over, your story's not over. You can't just sit here and do nothing. 
right? You got to work. You got to do something, right? Now, brothers and sisters, when I talk about all this stuff, I, 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 I just got to say it because I feel like we've had a lot of bad teaching where we talk about works righteousness and we misunderstand what that is. We, we think that, so, so definitely what, what Paul is saying or not saying, he's not saying that your work for the kingdom is earning you your status before God. Let's be very clear. The only thing that has earned your status before God is what Jesus did for you on the cross. Amen? Can I get an amen? Yeah. So it's not all this stuff that we're talking about. When we're talking about doing work, when we're talking about living this story, it's not about earning your place into heaven or earning gold stars from Jesus. He's like, yay, you're so much better than those other people, right? Because what earns you the status to be a child of God has already been given to you. Many people are playing a game to get their status. Many people are playing a game to, to think of themselves in, in a good way. Like they can't look at themselves in the mirror because they're ashamed of what they see. But if they work hard enough, if they get a good enough job, if they make enough money, then maybe I'll be worth something. That's not the game we're playing. That's not the story. You already have everything in Christ Jesus. You are a child of God. You are royalty. You are a prince, in, prince or princess in the kingdom of God. What more can you get? Right? You already have that. But the thing is, brothers and sisters, there's still conflict. There's still a broken world. This is the thing, right? This is the reason why you can't just sit on that beach and lounge for the rest of your life. Because the story's not over. There's so much conflict out there. There's so much brokenness out there. And you were actually made. It is your mission. It is the will of God for you to be a part of healing that doing what you can to bring about change in this world that is broken. Brothers and sisters, what is your part to play? How will you go about being the change in this world? I, I want to play for you a clip. Uh, this comes from Lord of the Rings. This is one of my, uh, this is from uh, the Two Towers, the second one. This is one of my favorite scenes. And I've quoted this before, but I want to show you the full scene. This comes in a moment of darkness uh, where um, Frodo and Sam, who are the two hobbits that are trying to bring the, the ring uh, to Mount Doom and destroy this ring of power, right, and save the world, um, they, they come to this point where uh, they just, it looks hopeless. It looks like all hope is lost. And so Sam starts talking about stories. And so I want you to hear what Sam says uh, about the greatest tales, the greatest stories that there are. We shouldn't even be here. We are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. 
full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. The shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Furrow, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? There's some good in this world, Mr. Farrell. And it's worth fighting. We're talking about the great stories. The greatest stories have a lot of conflict, have a lot of darkness, have a lot of danger, have lots of things that are uh, going against the protagonists, right? But, you know, when Sam talks about um, what is worth fighting for, right? I, I've, I've actually quoted this before in sermons, and uh, I actually didn't like that last line before. I thought it was kind of cheesy. Where he says, like, like what, what are they hanging on to? The, the idea that there is some good in this world and that it's worth fighting for. I actually think that's the central point here. So it, it isn't that everything will instantly get better. It isn't that, you know, you'll do one thing, right, in this world, and then all of a sudden, no more problems. It's that... The good in this world, the kingdom of God that we're bringing about, it is worth fighting for. I, I, I want to say that, that we haven't understood this very well in the church. Um, there's one of the biggest misunderstandings in Scripture has been one of the reasons why I think a lot of Christians don't help the poor. I'll be really honest. Right? Do you guys remember when there was a woman who came and she had an expensive uh, jar of perfume and she pours it out on Jesus. Um, she, she pours it all over him, and they're like, oh my gosh, that was such a costly, expensive uh, a jar of perfume. And the disciples are whispering, and they're like, dude, that's such a waste, man. Like, you could have sold that and given the money to the poor. And you remember what Jesus says. It's one of the most misunderstood things. He says, the poor you will always have with you. You guys remember that? But me, you will not always have with you. And so what she did was a beautiful thing. I want to read for you the Matthew version of that, that uh, saying from Jesus. Mark, or sorry, not Matthew, Mark. Mark 14, 7. It says, for you, will, you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. 
but you will not always have me. So the point of the passage wasn't to say that, uh, because this is usually the way we hear it. We're like, oh, shoot, we're always going to have poor people? Then what's the point? Why even try? Why even try to better their lives if we're always going to have poor people? I mean, Jesus is just being honest. He's like, until I return, there is going to be poverty. Until I return, there's going to be brokenness. It doesn't mean you don't do something about it, right? So for those of us who've approached this as a finite game, you know, if we can't fix the problem of poverty, then it's not worth fixing. We misunderstand. Jesus clearly says, yes, you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. Whenever you want, you can do good for them. That's the infinite game. That's the kingdom of God, right? I mean, Frodo and Sam, you know, they'll, they'll live to fight another day. Things will get a little bit better. But there's still going to be darkness. There's still going to be evil, right? But Sam says it's still worth fighting for because there is good that is coming about. We are seeing things that are broken being healed. And brothers and sisters, I think for us, when we live that story, when we don't just sit around and do nothing, but we actually do something about the brokenness in our world, there is something within you that comes alive. There is something within your soul that you're like, this is right. This is what I'm meant to do. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever see something broken in this world and and it it just fires you up? It, it, It gives you a passion unlike other things. And maybe some of these things come from your story. So I began this sermon with a question. What is your story? What is the story you are gonna live for the kingdom of God? You know what? Maybe it's the story you've already been living. Maybe there is brokenness in your story that when, when, when you experience something, your heart comes alive. There's something within you you're just, you just get super fired up and passionate about. And it's something in your brokenness that you're like, maybe I can do something about this. I want to share with you just a couple things for me that have been uh, very powerful for me. Now, this may not be the same for you. It probably isn't. And the point isn't for me to tell you you should care about the same things as me. But I just want to give you an example of what this whole process looks like. So uh, the other day, uh, well, this was a couple weeks ago, I read a story about Zachary Winston. So uh, for those of you who who may know, who maybe are Michigan State fans, Cassius Winston is uh, a star guard for uh, Michigan State. He's very good. He's playing the NBA probably next year. (laughs) <laughs> or very, sorry, maybe not next year, maybe he'll stay a little longer, but um, is he a senior? Maybe he's a senior, not sure. Um, but Cassius Winston, uh, his younger brother played at Albion College, um, and his little brother, Zachary Winston, had all kinds of mental health issues, and, and he just was severely depressed. He fought it every day until one day he couldn't fight it anymore. A couple weeks ago, I think it was on around November 10th, um, he stepped out in front of an Amtrak train and he took his own life. And Zachary Winston died. And I, I was reading um, about this, and I've, whenever I read stories about mental illness and especially suicide, there's been a whole bunch of pastors lately 
who have been uh, taking their own lives. It's very interesting. I, I don't really know why. Um, but it's something that I just get so fired up about. I was like reading every article I could find about Zachary Winston. I was like looking at their Instagrams, and it just consumed me and absorbed me. And I just got so fired up. I was like, man, you know, this, this kid was in so much pain. You know, there's people in this pain, and, and, and you know, I, I wish that there were people around them that would let them know that they're not alone. And for me, um, part of my story is a story of mental illness. It's a story of uh, panic disorder and depression, and at times very debilitating. And because of my story, my heart beats. It's a little bit, right, it, it beats in this way that's, that's a little different, a little stronger for people in this type of pain, right? Because that's my story. And so I just wanted to read from you uh, from uh, Cassius Winston's Instagram. He wrote this to his brother after he died. He said, I'm going to put this on here because I need you to read it, and I feel like this is the best way for it to get to you. I love you, bro, with everything I have in my entire body. I love you so much If I could carry your pain, I would wear it on my shoulders just to see you happy and wouldn't think twice. I understand it was too much. I understand I really do, and your story won't end here. I can promise you that the next time I run into someone in your situation, I'm going to save them because that's what you would want me to do. There's so much brokenness in this world. But this is the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God. It's that God takes our pain and our brokenness and helps us to be able to be the kinds of people who can heal brokenness and pain from it. That's the story we're living. That is the story of the cross, isn't it? Right? It's a Roman torture device. Right? And yet it has become the symbol of redemption just, you know, through the centuries. It has become our most powerful symbol that the world's evil, that what people would use to destroy someone, to make them suffer, to cause pain, is used to heal and redeem and save. I read an article on Albion uh, just a couple weeks after this happened um, that uh, somebody said that there's been a, a sea change on that campus. That people going up to people and saying, hey, how are you doing? You doing okay? Hey, I'm here for you. You want to talk? I'm here for you. I don't want to read about you later. Let me know how I can be there for you. And they said that there's this noticeable shift that, that people, you know, probably some of them read what Cassius Winston wrote about his own brother. Said, this isn't the end of the story. When I see someone in pain, I'm not going to turn away. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do with all this mental illness stuff. But it's something where I I find myself reading a lot about it, you know, uh, trying to find ways, you know, what are ways even in LGM? It's something I've talked to in our leadership. Are there ways that we can create support groups for people going through mental illness? Uh, In certain communities, Asian American community is one of them, where mental illness isn't really talked about, where it isn't really treated. Is that something we could do here? I don't know. That's my story. What's your story? I want to just share one more thing in my story. As a young pastor, I found that it was very difficult for me to learn how to be a, 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 
a pastor, especially in a Korean-American setting where I was kind of torn between two cultures. So one of the things that I was very passionate about was taking younger pastors uh, uh, under my wing. And so a couple years ago, uh, we had uh, Kevin Hong. He was an intern here, pastoral intern. He's a guy who, uh, it turns out that he actually had a very, very similar story to mine. Um, it was kind of weird because he actually had the same um, major I had in college, chemical engineering. Uh, the person who set us up didn't know this. That actually uh, his dad was uh, actively discouraging him from going into ministry. Same thing for me. Right? And, and I, like the first time I talked to him on the phone, I told him my story, and he was just speechless. I was like, Kevin, you there? He's like, what is going on right now? He's like, your story is like exactly like mine. You know? And, and so for me, I really had this heart to kind of take younger people under my wing and to try to, you know, especially young pastors and to help them because I know that's not something that I have. So what will it be for you? I, I, I want to just end with this. Um, so a couple days ago, I went to see Frozen 2. No spoilers, no spoilers. I don't know how many people have seen Frozen 2. Um, you know, in some ways, it's not as good as the first one. Okay, let's get that out of the way. But I got to say, I really, really like this song. I really, really like this song that... that um, there's this moment, of course, every movie has conflict, right? And so there's a moment, I'm not going to give anything away, but th- th- this scene is uh, Anna, and she's in this deep, dark cave, right? Like metaphorically and, and, actu- and physically, she's in a deep, dark cave, right? And it's the lowest moment of the movie. There's, I mean, she's surrounded by darkness. She can't see her way out. And she starts singing the song. Uh, and, and I want to read to you some of the lyrics from the song. It's called The Next Right Thing. It says, I've seen dark before, but not like this. This is cold. This is empty. This is numb. The life I knew is over. The lights are out. Hello, darkness. I'm ready to succumb. I'm going to skip down a little bit. It says, this grief has gravity. It pulls me down. But a tiny voice whispers in my mind, you are lost. Hope is gone. But you must go on and do the next right thing. I won't look too far ahead. It's too much for me to take. But break it down to this next breath, this next step, the next choice is one that I can make. So I'll walk through this night, stumbling blindly through the light, and do the next right thing. And with the dawn, what comes then? When it's clear that everything will never be the same again, then I'll make the choice to hear that voice and do the next right thing. I I think this fits very, very much into what we're talking about in the big story. Because maybe for some of us, you haven't found that big thing that you're going to do with your life. I want you to start thinking about your story and the brokenness in it. And maybe there's something, when you read a story, when you hear about someone who's suffering, it just fires you up in a way that other things don't. I mean, you just get so, like, moved, and it brings you to tears. When, when I read about Cassius Winston, it brought me to tears, you know, maybe there's something like that for you. Start paying attention to that stuff. Right? It may not be what you do for the rest of your life, but that could give you a clue about what your story is supposed to be. How can I help bring about some good in this in some small way? Right? Now, that, that's a big story, right? But maybe some of us are like, but Pastor Steve, I'm just a student, or I'm in high school, I'm in junior high, or, you know, like, like I, I don't know what that thing is. I wish I knew what it was then just do the next right thing. That's the big story. Because there's brokenness all around you, right? 
maybe the next right thing is just getting down on your knees and praying. Maybe the next right thing is, uh, you know, when you're in line at Black Friday, you know, and people are just acting like fools, like, like they're just being so rude and... You know, like, like, like you see the, the, the cashier just looks like they just want to die. Maybe the next right thing is just to be like, hey, Merry Christmas. Hey, it's tough out there, huh? But yeah, it sucks. And you're like, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I, I hope your day gets better. What if the next right thing was just to bless someone right now, right here? Isn't that the big story? Isn't that the infinite game? You never stop being kind. You never stop loving people with the love of Jesus Christ. You never stop forgiving people. You never stop learning to bring the kingdom of God reality into your heart and your mind. You never stop. You never stop. That's a life worth living. That is the big story.